Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. Financial institutions of all sizes are reinventing themselves by digitally transforming every part of their business with technology, data, automation, and AI. They're breaking down internal silos and connecting functions and data across the value chain, creating new ways of operating and serving customers and their own people. Leading banks recognize the need to accelerate change, not only to compete, but to find new paths for growth. I'm excited to have Michael Abbott, Senior Managing Director and Global Banking Lead for Accenture on the show today. We'll be discussing how banks and credit unions are disrupting existing paradigms and rethinking their paths going forward. According to Accenture's 2023 Top Trends in Banking report, most of the trends shaping banking in 2023 are affected, if not caused by, the return of steeply rising interest rates, something that the banking industry hasn't seen since before the introduction of the iPhone. While the interest rate environment may feel more traditional, Actually, this period does not equate to a time of business as usual. Instead, it requires accelerated change and a rethinking of business models. So welcome back to the show, Michael. You were a guest about a year ago discussing the trends from 2022. So what did we get right last year? And what surprised us from last year's trends report? Yeah, Jim, and thank you, thank you for having me back. It's, it's great to be here with you again. Um, and if you look back on the 22 trends, I would say one of the things that we we got right, I think in a, in, a, in a big way, but we were probably a little bit early, was we talked about zero operations. So, and we talked about the, the this cloud-based AI, the democratization of AI technology to these cloud-based capabilities was going to eventually seep into banking and fundamentally start to alter the operations. Now, I think we're still in the early stages of that. But what is um, what I think is really quite interesting over the last few, few weeks is if you look at all the all the interest around Chat GPT, I think what's happened here is finally now that every bank executive's you know son or daughter can cheat on their test using cloud-based AI has opened up their eyes to the fact that this technology is going to fundamentally bleed its way into the core of banking and be able to uh, and start the transformers. I think that's one of the I think that's one of the big things we got right last year, at least in terms of trends in the direction of travel. I think we're still this year is going to be the year where it starts to really become part of the core banking and part of the part of the banking uh, ecosystem. You're going to see a big movement this year on that front. You know, it's interesting when we look at these trends reports, we do one as well. And and it's it's sometimes a dream report, what we yeah. hope happens. And, you know, banking as an industry still works slower than what we'd, what we'd like. But in some cases, it, it, it doubles down. And yeah. I think the investments there, the good news is what we see is organizations are not trending backwards with investments, despite an economy that's very uncertain at best. Um, you know, one of the things you mentioned, the 2023 trends report, is that the industry as a whole is really starting to respond to the increase in interest rates. How do rates change the trajectory of banking and the mission most organizations are on as they try to become more future ready? Yeah. And Jim, before before I go forward, let me step backwards and just kind of lay the foundation because it's kind of, it, you know, when you think about it, it's just been an unprecedented period. It's been 17 years of almost yeah. flat zero rates. And what's happened in those preceding 17 years, those 17 years is it's distorted our view of how banking works. In many ways, you know, those zero rates drove banks into product silos in many ways. 
and, and, I, and, and I'll give you one very direct example. You know this as well as I do. Traditionally, deposits have been the rocket fuel of banking. That is what you, it's what you want, it's what you fought over, that's what you looked for. But in a zero rate environment, you looked at the deposit account as just simply an, an anchor that you wanted to get rid of. In fact, in many scenarios, banks were trying to get rid of deposit accounts on one side of it, if you can imagine that. When rates rise, all of a sudden those deposits become rocket fuel again, and you start getting this distortion that was out there, the, the, the crazy valuation in fintechs that were valuing just simply by the number of people you had rather than the deposits that you had. And what I think what you're seeing now, the, the private equity has been pushed out on that front, right? The disaggregation of banking, you know, into all these individual segments that were attacked by the fintechs. Now, I think what's happened here, if you roll the tape forward, is you want to look at all the great things that came out of that period of innovation. And what you're going to see is you're going to see what I would describe as a neo-normal, which is that you're going to see the best of the neobanks and what we learned through the fintech, the revolution that's occurred in the preceding 15, 17 years of zero rates, brought in with the power of the balance sheet. And the banks that can bring those two things together is what's going to really matter. And that's that's where it's going to go. And we can, we can talk a little bit more about the product innovation side of what rising rates I think are going to unleash at this point. Now, what's going to be interesting, though, is, you know, over these 17 years, the efficiency of the marketplace has become extraordinarily powerful, where the old spread of 3 4% probably is not going to come back. How do you see that impacting the trajectory? Because, you know, gosh, as you said, it's really hard to imagine 17 years ago. Yeah. But at that time, the there was a lot of inefficiency in the marketplace and a shift here did not necessarily make a shift here. But now they, they run in tandem pretty closely. Are we going to see the ability to make revenue on that, that spread or is it really going to still, is banking as usual really not coming back? No, I think you are going to be able to make revenue on that spread, right? And I, I, I do think you are. I do think you will be able to do that. And but I think it's going to be it's going to require a different type of product innovation. So if you look back to your point around the inefficiency, there was inefficiency of information prior to you know prior to the two thousand five seven. I mean, we we did have online and we had the ability to do a little bit of checking rates. But let's face it, now it's just it's clearly obvious where you can move your money around and get a better rate. But still, if you look at that, the deposit beta even though we're over 4% now, is still not that high for the core branch deposit banks, for those that have that direct relationship. So in many ways, I believe what's going to happen, I think we're already seeing, it, is you're going to see an innovation around product, in particular, the movement away from these product silos that banks have been in to integrated customer experiences. So products, yeah. that, products that reward the customer like Amazon Prime. And what I mean by that is, You'll be able, you know, if you'll you'll add up how much do you have with deposits, how much do you have in your credit card, your mortgage, your auto loan, perhaps, and the more you do with that bank, the better rates you'll get across all of those segments. Now we used to have this, and before we certainly had it, the concept of cross sell before, but this will move beyond the idea of just cross selling your customers to actually designing products that are customer centric around around the around banking products. And everyone talks about being customer-centric, and banks have done a great job, I think, digitally becoming customer-centric, but very few and far between have actually reward or reward you for the total value you bring to that bank. I think you're about to see that change, Jim, and when you do, I think it takes rate off the table a little bit more. Well, it's going to be interesting, too, because, you know, we talk quite a bit about the fact there's been a lot of silent attrition, and that's because the customer hasn't been totally taken care of, where, for instance, in my situation, I haven't closed any accounts 
But my relationship has certainly become diversified. I have Acorns. I have Robinhood. I have other relationships out there that may not have happened if I was being served in a totality of the relationship. I have on the business side, I have PayPal that probably is my business account, even though I hold my account someplace else. You know, in your report this year, you talk about five key forces of change that really are impacting all the trends. And you, you talk about the reinvention of the organization through through innovation. You have talked about the quest of talent, quest for talent, the focus on sustainability, the potential of the metaverse, and the impact of modern technology. If you were to prioritize those, what would probably be the most important to the whole dynamic of what we're going to see in 2023? For banking, it's crystal clear to me. It's going to be the impact of modern technology. And in particular, it's going to be the impact of cloud-based AI capabilities that's emerging out there. Like what you, again, ChatGPT has kind of popularized this this uh, this notion. But if you look deeper than just the ChatGPT trend, you look at what's called generative AI trends. You look at the, the fact that many of these cloud-based AI capabilities are surpassing human capabilities on individual tasks like doc ingestion, reading things and stuff like that. The ability to put that into the banking architecture and buy it by the drink. So it's not like you need to hire a, you know, 100 PhDs in machine learning and AI anymore. This is about AI engineering. So it's something that not just the largest banks can do, but even the mid-market banks yeah. can take advantage of this trend now. That, I think, is going to be the most transformative thing, probably not just this year, but over the next, I'd say, two to three years trend. And then right behind that is going to be, of course, the talent to be able to make that happen. So you're going to have to match. So this is, this is very much, Jim, I think this is very much going to be a rotation in thinking for many of these banks beyond, I need to own everything to, I need to be able to engineer these solutions. Speaking of engineering, the technology and the talent, it all gets down to innovation. Accenture has done a couple reports recently on the need for breakthrough innovation and, and the speed of innovation, the iterative innovation. What innovations do you see, and you, you maybe have already talked about it, do you see in banking in the next few years? Yeah. Well, one, one, I think you're going to see this move from products, like we talked about before, you see this move from product silos to Amazon Prime-like solutions across banking and in particular, the rising rate environment right now, the betas are still very low, but I think for all of us that have been around the banking long enough, it's not the rise that gets you in the banking world, it's the decline and trying to grab those deposits back. Yeah. So the innovation, the banks that are thinking forward right now, 12 to 24 months are gonna be thinking, how am I developing the products and solutions, not for the rising rate environment, but for the declining rate environment so I can hold on and gather those deposits. I think you're gonna see a lot of innovation on that front. And I also think you're going to see a lot of innovation around what I would describe as mid to back office and, you know, moving from um, a big part of, and we talked about this a little bit in our trends this year too, moving from journey thinking to intent thinking. And what I mean by that is, you know, right now we've done, if you look at the, the digital world, banks have used this concept of journey mapping. So that's laying out how should a customer go through this mortgage process. So it's our imagination of exactly what the customer should do. But no customer comes to a bank and says, hey, give me your journey. Yeah, they're not waiting for that. Instead, they come to you with an intent. So one of the major innovations I think you're going to see in thinking is moving away from thinking about journeys to thinking about the intent of the customer using the data organized around the customer to listen to them and then meet that customer with the intent right where they need almost in many scenarios 
before they even are aware that they need it. So it's going to be sensing, listening, and doing that. It's it's much like when you when you go into search today, and it just it feels like wow, it, it's it's that's exactly what I wanted to know. It has context. Banks are going to be putting context in everything they do. So I think there's going to be a, a huge innovation in how we interact with the banks, and I think there's going to be a huge innovation in product. Well, it's interesting. It's journey mapping by its own its own concept takes longer. You know, banks love to do the journey mapping because they can spread out the whole process a lot longer Yeah. when really it's almost an instantaneous need. You know, we look at just the opening of new accounts, opening of lending relationships, and they still take way too long at most financial institutions. It's because they take each part as a, a single part and they don't want to let go, as you mentioned about the back office with some of the concepts that are out there. You know, is can an innovation actually be give you a sustainable differentiation or are we really looking at instead of the the big breakthrough looking at iterative innovation where everything becomes an ongoing process of improvement that is much more short term as opposed to the longer term innovation yeah you know it's it's a great question jim because every having having been a banker most of my life too everyone's in search of that pan ultimate i can make this innovation i'll run the market and i'll own this segment completely outright right in in that yeah and as you and i know that never happens Right. That never happened. No. Right. No, because it's because you can replicate what's out there. So in many senses, the innovation has to be ones that are that are committed and sustainable. And I want to go back to what you were talking about with the account opening, if I may, for a second and, and dive one step deeper in that, because one of the other things we put out this year is treating data as a product. And, and that, it sounds ephemeral, but what it really means is it means looking at your data around particular customer needs. So the example you just gave of an individual customer trying to open an account, why is it so hard? Because if you open an account inside of a DDA, it might be sitting in one part of the bank. You open a credit card, it's sitting in another right. part of the bank, right? So imagine, just, just imagine a simple innovation, which is I'm going to start organizing my data around that customer and treat that data as a product, that customer. And I'm going to have a database of one around that customer. And then I'm going to strangle systematically all my systems across the board that every time they come in and they want information about you, Jim, they're going to come to one database, which is data as a product. That's a very simple innovation, but it's transformational in the experience. And if you look out there, you can see banks have not just done this on the consumer side, they're doing it on the corporate side and commercial. Yeah. And yep. when you organize all your data around the entity and the corporation, all of a sudden you can go from taking weeks to do an underwriting to being able to do it in hours. So the potential transformation of some of these ideas that sit behind underneath the digital veneer are really what I think the transformation is going to occur. And I think that's also a big theme for this year, which is that, you know, for the most part, banks have solved digital. You know, the pandemic helped us pull forward a lot. Now the innovation has to go to the core. Well, it's also using outside information. Yeah. You know, I, I get frustrated where, you know, somebody says they can open an account in, in three to five minutes. And yet, as I try to open the account, the first thing I ask for is my driver's license number. And I know right off the start, that's going to take too long. It just isn't right. the way to do it. But there's information out there on the phone and elsewhere that you can access that gives you really good information, at least for 90% of the customers, therefore making it so, again, the, the data is the product and it makes it so you can deliver better solutions. You know, when you look at, we talked about a little bit at the beginning around the integration of fintech firms versus traditional banks. 
Do you think fintech firms now are going to be moving from a competitor to actually an access point where innovation gets spurred on by what the fintech firms have done? In other words, do you see the partnerships growing exponentially between traditional banks and fintech firms as they try to innovate at speed and scale? Yeah, I, I, we see, we see it, we see, we're seeing it right now, uh, you know, live, which is a shift from what I would describe as disruptive fintechs. Fintechs that say, I'm going to completely rewire the banking world to ones that say, look, I've got this great capability. I'm going to enable and push the banking world forward. So, I, you know, for, for banks out there, I think this is going to be going to be a great, um, a great time to look at. The question for everyone will be is which fintechs are you going to partner with? Um, are they going to get scale? Are they going to hit escape velocity? What's the sustainability factor, et cetera, especially in this marketplace is the questions we're being asked. But I think you're going to see a lot of innovation on that front. I mean, I can, I can give you all kinds of things like, you know, great examples of mortgage space, you know, you know, into it, uh, you know, spent hundreds of millions, maybe, maybe even a billion developing a phenomenal experience with rocket mortgage. You can now buy that by the drink from various fintechs, right? Yeah. You look at things like true name fraud, there's databases outside of the credit bureaus that are available that can make that happen now um, that are sharing information. So I think you're gonna see a whole host of fintech innovations across the entire banking spectrum on that front. Does this play out where it, it kind of helps along the line of trying to find the talent? In other words, the talent isn't the person, but it's the solution. And that as organizations are trying to improve what they're doing, both back office and front top of glass, that this helps some of the talent shortage that's out there right now, the people that, that don't quite see banking the way it's going to have to be seen going forward. Yeah, I think I think look, I think it's the is it's certainly as you have the pressure in the fintech world, it's going to create a lot of opportunities. You've already seen some banks out there acquire a few of them. You know, we call it aqua hires in, in terms of bringing the talent in. So I think you will see that talent talent come in there. But if you bring that talent into the bank, the big the big question for banks is going to be culture, because the culture of these of the fintechs is one that's getting out there and being able to do things fast at speed, et cetera. And the one you know whether we like it or not. Banks are still heavily regulated environments, and they're going to have to figure out how do you merge those two cultures together. The other thing I would add with that, Jim, is I think is in terms of a rotation and thinking about talent, if you looked at it five years ago, people were, you know, they were in a battle for AI, ML experts that had PhDs in, in machine learning. We're going to move from this environment where everything has to be built, you know, to it's going to be one of engineering. So the talent profile, what you're going to be looking for, are going to be looking for leaders that can bring things together, like like fintechs, like APIs from outside, and basically engineer the solutions and products rather than build the next word processor. And it, so it's going to be also a very different profile of person you're looking for. So when you're working with financial institutions, almost every financial institution right now has employees that are are not scaled to the future they're not they're not ready for the future and how do you see organizations trying to train trying to retool the employees they have for what is going to be a very different future with regard to what they do within the bank yeah there's some banks out there that have done a, i think a great a great job on this and what they do is they 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 take a book a little they take a page a little bit out of the google playbook where they they create time and space so like you can sit there and say look i'm going to take my employees and i want 100 percent of your time let's say you're doing cobol programming right and i want you to just do 100 percent cobol programming or you can look at that and say look i want you to do 80 percent cobol programming but 20 percent, i'm going to give you time to think about how to 
do DevOps, DevSecOps, how to do CICD, how to how to basically build these modern tool chains and, and start looking at things in a, in a very different direction, or I'm going to let you work on the next generation of um, course. So we have a couple core transformations we're working on right now, and I, I would say one of the very interesting organizational models is rather than having two competing areas and saying, I'll do this and you'll do that, they're actually starting to merge them together and give the groups that are out there doing the existing work today, the opportunity to do this stuff in the future. Yeah. And what you find, I think contrary to what most people believe is about 80% of the people will make that shift, make that transition. Now 20% are going to say, look, I just want to keep running my COBOL. But the vast majority of people want to do something new. You have to give them the time and space and design your organizational models in such a way that you allow that to happen. And that's what I think the best banks are doing right now. I think that's a great point. We've had a couple interviews with people that truly have engaged the teams to be part of the future as opposed to, you know, it's a us versus them because that creates a situation that's untenable. I mean, it just can't work going forward. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of the podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. So welcome back. I'm joined today by Michael Abbott, Senior Managing Director and Global Banking Lead for Accenture. We've been discussing the banking trends for 2023 and the importance of the innovation process, as well as the investment in technology. So Michael, the Accenture Trends Report for 2023 talks about the viability of branches. Are branches truly a viable differentiator for most traditional banks or a costly extension of the digital future? You know, Jim, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from the digital only fans out there. But I do believe, I do believe, I do believe that branches have, have a place out there. And you know, we'll, we'll release a report a little bit later about um, some recent data we've seen globally basis. And you, you'll be shocked to see up and down the line that people actually want to have a conversation again. And here's what I think has happened. I think as we become more and more digital in the banking world, we become functionally correct and emotionally devoid. And our customers are craving, just like we have during after the pandemic and being locked down, they're craving interaction again. And when they have a complex problem, like or a complex buy, like buying a mortgage for the first time, they want to be able to sit down and talk to somebody, right? The other thing too is branches, we all know, act as incredible asset gathering places. So think of the branch of the future as not necessarily the vault, but think of it more like an Apple store. I mean, fundamentally, Apple doesn't need stores out there, but customers crave that interaction. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see, you will see branches, you will see banks continue to open and close branches. You may not see the net numbers increase, but you're going to see the space, the type turn into more pop-up branches, different types of places where you can interact with a branch at the right point in the right time. But I do not think branches are dead. It's interesting because, you know, in your report, you bring up the the the, the whole dynamic of Chase. And Ch Chase, you know, their decision to expand the branches has been more in support of their credit card market, where they're putting branches where their credit card customers are, but they didn't have branches. Um, Capital One is another example of a really unique branching model, but they're also supporting other products that that 
did not have the branch access or didn't need the branch access before. It's going to be interesting because I think when you look at chat GPT and you look at the humanized version of conversational AI, it's going to be interesting to see how we define that need to interact. Uh, I, I think the, the jury's still out. I'm not I'm not a, a big fan of branches, but I'm not a detractor of branches. And that, that kind of plays the middle ground, which is always a safe place to play. But it but it's interesting because I, I don't want to go to the branch. And I and yet I can get my interactions elsewhere. I, I get a call from the branch regularly. I call the branch every once in a while. You know, there's other technologies available. It's going to be interesting because I think you're right about the fact that people want the interaction. I'm just wondering if they want it from their bank. And 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 again, I look at the mortgage as a great example. I don't. Want, I want the mortgage process to be simplified, so I don't need a branch. Um, you know, a good example is Rocket Mortgage done a great job without any branches in developing a great mortgage business. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It, it, will, it will be, but I, you know, I, I'm going to go back to one of the examples you gave, and I, I think it was probably one of the most brilliant uh, moves at the point in time. Is if you if you roll the tape back to the early 2000s, the equivalent of the fintechs back then were the monoline issuers. You, you and I remember all these, the MBNAs, oh, yeah. the first two essays, and Capital One was one of the major ones, right? Yep. What happened to all of them in a rising rate environment? They had right. to get deposits on the other side, right? Obviously, First USA became part of Chase, as Chase is a big credit card business now. MBNA became part of Bank of America. It's the point of their, their card business now. But Capital One perhaps made the most genius move of all. They did the contra thing. They acquired branches, and they acquired right. deposits. And still to this day, they're opening branches. So I think, again, looking back in the rising rate, the zero rates, I think they've distorted our view of the world. At some level, Jim, and I don't know if we've statistically proven this out yet, you know, branches we estimate cost, I think it's around 83, 84 basis points across the world in terms of deposits, right? At zero rates, you say, why would I need them? But if rates are 4% and branch-based deposits maybe only have a beta of 30% versus having to go 100% at the top of bankrate.com, all of a sudden branches become an incredibly valuable marketing tool beyond any of the interactions. So this idea of deposit beta and the net interest margin and spread that might be able to be brought through to the branching network, I don't think we should underestimate this, right? Despite all the digital innovation. Oh, it's, it's going to be interesting because then we're making assumptions what the interest environment is going to be long term. And, you know, it, it, it's what is normal now. Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a tough decision and, and one that's going to impact all of banking. And, and we're looking at, you know, branches. We're looking at the spread. We're looking at rising rates. Do you see the, the actual revenue models of banks, traditional banks, changing dramatically with, with open banking and things of this nature? We see some examples overseas of organizations that have built relationships without needing the relationship actually to generate revenue in a banking way, but outside the banking environment. Do you see revenue models changing dramatically in the banking industry? Yeah, I see them evolving. I don't think you're going to see. I mean, look, banking's been around for as you, you know hundreds and hundreds of years, and the, the models fundamentally is you know grab you know acquire deposits, lend out to both consumers and small and small businesses and corporations. So, I don't foresee that that model is going to change all that dramatically. Um, open banking, and I don't want to be the skunk at the picnic on the open banking thing, but you know, open banking has has I think certainly offered a lot of opportunities for people. But when you look at the actual revenue that's been generated from it, it's still not that substantial. I mean, it goes back to the, what we were talking about earlier, Jim, around neo-normal, which is 
in the banking world, you need to have great customer experience, but you need to have a balance sheet to back it up and lend against on that side. So you still need to have that in, in the banking world. A, um, a balance sheet is ultimately where you're going to make make your money off of on that front. And you'll, you'll have all kinds of opportunities, certainly around payments, experiences and aggregators and so on and so forth. But the fundamental side of it's a capital driven business. So, Michael, if you look at all the trends that you looked at from this year, what are you the most assured of? What's the one that you think that, you know what, I, I got I got a lot of money on this one? Yeah, the um, of, of all the trends in there, what we're seeing, and I, and, I, and I will tell you, I think we're early on this one. I think we're early on this one, but I see it coming because I see, I see what's happening out there, is the last one, which we call it a change of heart, which is the core transformation. Because when we look at this, Jim, what we've seen is, again, I think banks have done a phenomenal job on the digital piece of it. In fact, if you look at the app ratings for most banks around the world, they're all 4.8, 4.9. Consumers are getting what they need out of their digital experiences these days. They've really done a good job on that. But now the innovation has to occur at the product level and inside of it. And many of these banks are looking at those core engines and how they're going to modernize those to be real time, move off of the COBOL infrastructure, reduce their cost structures, be able to innovate products that are at the customer level versus individual products and, and be able to move a lot faster on that front. So if there's one thing I think that I'm pretty assured about this year is that you are going to see many and many more banks start to look at how they're going to address their core and how they're going to move these learnings from digital back into the core engine of the bank. And I, and I don't mean core just in terms of core banking and the, you know, where we keep our, you know, we keep the GLs and the, you know, the debits and credits for the accounts, but I also mean, how it's going to eat into also like we talked about with zero operations, modernization of all those experiences and simplification of the entire back end of the bank that will dramatically reduce their cost structures and improve the customer experiences. So I don't think you're going to see it as a big bang, but I think you're going to see it as you talked about earlier. I think you're going to see this as a radical kind of six Sigma meets cloud-based AI meets next generation core technology, transforming the bank over the next five years. You know, it's interesting because over the last 10 years, we've been talking about core transformation forever, is that you now have the ability to transform your core in pieces and parts, which you weren't able to do before. You had to you had to buy it or sell it. You just you couldn't do it in pieces. And and we see organizations now doing their lending platform, doing their deposit platform, doing their back office, whatever it may be. And that gives a lot of opportunity out there. Yes. So so Michael, finally. And this is an interesting one in that, you know, in developing these trends and predictions, there's always one or two that are left on the cutting room floor. So what's number 11? What, what's the one that you think personally has got a pretty good chance, but it didn't quite make the cut? You know, the, 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 I, I would actually, believe it or not, go back to the 2022 one, which I wasn't probably as aggressive as I should have been. I would say zero operations. The transformative nature of these cloud-based AI capabilities, Jim, to truly basically drive out expense is, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I would add to that, the other one that I wanted to put in there was, um, was around that digital moves from being a service channel to a revenue generator. So if you look at this right now, 99% of the touch points that consumers have by our estimation are remote, meaning they're, they're either in an IVR, they're in a mobile app, or they're online. Banks treat those as service points right now. 
if they start treating those as opportunities to cross-sell, upsell, deepen the relationships, have a conversation again, that could unleash a torrent of growth for them within their own backyards. And I'm already seeing that there's a couple of banks around the world that will be announcing some changes in how they're looking at their mobile experiences. But I'm already starting to see that happen out there right now. So those would be the two things. One is this transformation to zero ops mindset. And at the same time, is moving digital from being the, the digital and these remote channels from thought of as service channels to thinking of them like the next generation of branches to have conversations with the customer. Again, you get in that whole proactive engagement yep. um, and moving from transactional to engagement based. It really gives you a lot of revenue opportunities. And I, I would agree with you that, you know, it's, it's interesting that you look at chat GPT, which I don't think I can get a newscast anymore without somebody discussing either the risk or rewards of that. But you look at the potential for that to actually build much deeper and better engagement with a customer that they would pay for. You know, it's, it's going to be financial institutions get on their own own way, though, in that. You know, we we looked at um, the ability to take pictures of checks and deposit them. I believe only two financial institutions in the U.S. actually put a revenue model together that said, okay, if you want it immediately, you're going to pay X. If you want it in a day, you're going to pay Y. And if you, you want it in three days, you won't pay anything. And that was a great revenue opportunity that nobody balked at within those organizations. Initially, you know, the branches, as we always do as branch employees, we would say, oh my God, we're going to lose all this business. But the reality is there are opportunities out here that we, we continue to give things away for free that as a banking industry, we can do better than that. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today and, and again this year to share your trends and predictions. But I, I also appreciate your forethought on what else could happen because I think, you know, ChatGPT, I bring it up again, that on November 29th, we did not know this was out there. On November 30th, everybody knew it, was playing with it, and is excited about it. And from the way things look, the, the marketplace is going to change dramatically because of things such as that with the AI world. I agree, Jim. You know what? And it's, um, like I said, sometimes once your kids can cheat on their test with the technology, it opens your eyes to the art of the, art of the possible. But it's been there all along. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. It helps us to continue to get great guests. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, remember, unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball about what's going to happen in banking. What we can do is invest in the technology and thought that will take us forward. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.